This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talk money to me. Welcome to Talk Money To Me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Now today we're bringing you part two of our exclusive interview with Mr. Jack Cowan. In part one, we heard the story on how he started Hungry Jack's and built his career in many different sectors. That's right, Felicity. Now, Jack really needs no introduction, but if you do need one, recommend you hit pause right now, go back and listen to the previous episode with him because it's a great introductory. Yes, because we're actually going to get jumped straight into our conversation as there are just so many great tips, insights, investment conversations and his golden rules, which he applies to all of his investments and business adventures. I'm so excited for part two. I'm literally still buzzing from our conversation with Jack. Honestly, it was really great. And as you'll hear in today's conversation, we are going to be talking more about his outlook on the food sector more generally, various investments that Jack is a major shareholder in and why he invested his capital into these ideas. And we'll also delve deeper, as Felicity mentioned, into his investment principles. One of them, spoiler alert, being invest in good people. And in this part two, you're also in for a treat. Yeah, he talks about uranium. Felicity gets really excited. (laughs) That's it. We did have the nuclear chat. Now, before we jump into part two, as a reminder, this podcast is general in nature and is not to be considered personal advice, even though Felicity and I are registered financial advisors at Shrine Partners. If you find this podcast episode useful for your own investment purposes, firstly, we're really glad that's the case, but always go out and seek your own professional advice before you make any of your investment decisions. With that, let's jump straight into the next part and we're going to be picking up the conversation with Jack's thoughts on the home delivery service and overall outlook and his opinion on Amazon. You can't deny Amazon is one of the best delivery services globally. So have you got a comment there, you know? I, I visited the Amazon warehouse here in Sydney. It's the largest warehouse in, in Australia and this part of the world. You would not want to have to compete against that because it's all totally automated. You know, somebody presses a button and, you know, and the, the, you, know, the, the, uh, you, you know, the old warehouse thing, you'd have a forklift, somebody get up, plug it out, put it in a bag, you know. This is totally automated. And um, it it revolutionizes uh, the warehousing business and pick up, and that kind of floats back into into what's the lowest cost way to be able to deliver something. And when you got the warehousing side of it in place, like they do, they're obviously competitive. So it'll be a factor in the. It'll future. be a factor for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of forklifts and cranes and such like. I know one of your other investments is very different to the QSR sector. You have a pretty large stake in Queens Road Capital. So 
Earlier in the year, we sat down with Warren Gilman and he really gives a compelling argument. You know, you're an investor, so we know that you, you're keen and long on QRC, but we would just love to hear from your perspective. What gave you the confidence to invest in the resource sector, which is very different? You've taken a pivot from your food focus, really, uh, and to back Warren and the team. Yeah, well, kind of the opening uh Bell was, I knew nothing and had an aversion kind of against because I thought it was kind of a high risk sort of business getting into the resource business. Um, so it wasn't on my hit list. But one of the, one of the investment principles that, that I find is uh, investing in people is, 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 is an important factor rather. And so whether it's Mining, fast food, uh, whatever. If people, if you have confidence in the people that are that are about to embark on this, that's probably more important. And and you can be agnostic to uh, what the what the nature of it is. If you get the right people with the right brains and the right sort of attitude to build a business, then that's the factor. And in the case of Queens Road Capital, um, uh, Warren Gilman was someone that I've known for a long time, 20, 30 years. And uh, he was a banker. He was, uh, I think his title was, was vice chairman or some lofty title in, <laughs> um, in a Canadian bank called CIBC. Uh, he lived in Australia for a number of years uh, as, as kind of the bank representative. They moved him to to Hong Kong, and he was the he was the head of Asia Australia for this Canadian bank. And uh, at one of the reasons why he got moved to Hong Kong was the largest shareholder in this Canadian bank, and CIBC is like. Australia, you know, they got four major banks. So it's, this, these are big organizations. The largest shareholder was Li Ka-shing, who is probably Asia's wealthiest man. And largest shareholder in Warren's job, in addition to kind of the regular banking business that they ran, was when Mr. Lee called, be available to be able to meet his needs because he is a major shareholder. Yeah, and don't lose him. and don't lose money. <laughs> he had two. You, you, you're you're ahead of me. He had two basic. And so anyway, so uh, the bank forms a joint venture with Mr. Lee called CEF, which was to invest in natural resource projects. And Warren was a geologist and understood money and um, so they established this joint venture and Warren had a track record of making many billions of dollars for Mr. Lee and profit of making profitable investments. Meanwhile, he's a friend of mine and I'm kind of watching all this over the years take place. Um, about five years ago, the Canadian bank laws changed, which said the Canadian bank could not be involved in a in an investment equity position for who knows whatever reason, but the bank law changed, said they couldn't do this, so they had to wind up the company. Warren was the CEO of this, and um, my kind of advice to him was, you've made all this money for Mr. Lee, you know where the bodies are buried, you know where the deal flow is. <clears throat> Why don't you do this yourself? So I, I um, 
Yeah, so he formed, he bought a shelf company in Canada called Queen's Road Capital. Uh, and I said, look, I'll help you raise some money. Um, um, I put in $25 million. Andrew Forrest put in $25 million. And we attracted other people like Brett Blundy, your dad, you know, been a number of other people that have come along. And um, we had a second go around. So I put in another 25. Andrew Forrest put in another 25. So, you know, um, Roughly $100 million probably has gone in in equity. He has done half a dozen deals. Um, you're right. Mr. Lee's philosophy was, number one, don't lose money. Number two, pay me rent on the money, which led to uh, the, the way in which he has structured the deals in which a company has to be strong enough to be able to pay a dividend, uh, pay the preference fee. So he goes and he makes an investment, and he makes anywhere from eight to ten percent interest on on the on the investment um, on the pref shares, and he has a warrant on the growth of the stock. So the company's got to be strong enough that it can make the, so he's out of the speculation business of, of, you know, all the mining companies and things that we know. So the, 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 the investment has to be able to be of substance that is not in the spec stage because they got to be able to pay the money on, on dividends. And then you ride, if you've got the right, uh, the right sort of assets, he's made six or seven investments now in the last couple of years. Um, he's very strong on, on the uranium business because of the future of nuclear energy, which Australia still struggles with. But I think with time, this, you know, he, he, he anticipates there will be huge growth in the value of uranium. But he's, he's got other ventures which are, um, as I say, he's got half a dozen um, investments which he thinks have got terrific potential. And the value growth in the shareholder uh, value of the shares continues to grow. And... But to go back to the, the you know the, your fundamental question of how did I get into this, it was through the choice of the individual rather than me having any expertise or knowledge about the mining business. That was his. That's where his kind of background was. That's what the value that he brought to it. And that, so you, you're buying into someone who has a track record of being able to do this. Now he's duplicating it, and it will continue. Yeah, so I guess this is actually a good way to lead into our next question. So we talk about on the show all of the time that we're heading into a commodity super cycle and that it's going to be actually near impossible for the Paris 2030 decarbonisation goals to be met with the current underinvestment and supply constraints. So we do know that Queen's Road Capital is a lead financer in future-facing commodities, like you said, uranium. So I guess what are your thoughts on that and whether these 2030 decarbonisation goals can be met? I mean, obviously investing in Queen's Road Capital because they invest in future-facing commodities is a bit of a no-brainer at the moment. Yeah, well, I don't claim to have any expertise or you know, kind of knowledge that, that uh, beyond what I read in the, in the newspapers. You know, and I, I've got my own views about, you know, when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, you know, and, and uh, what, what are we going to do about, uh, about 
you know, developing batteries that kind of provide the, the substance of being able to keep things in line. So my kind of view is that there is a there is a, a very important need to have that base load covered, and you know the the closure of the coal industry. You know you know how do we how do we balance some of these things? So I think there's some huge big conflicts that that that, that um, we talk about green hydrogen and all these things, but we're dealing with the unknown. And I think, you know, this has become political. Yeah. And as a result of that, I think we run, you know, I, I, you know no, no sane person says, you know, we, we, we can't ignore the, 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 uh, the climate aspects. But, you know, how much of it is driven by, you know, by politics and how do we have a plan which makes sure that the lights stay on and that the plants continue to operate and that that, that, that that we don't find ourselves through shutting all these things down until we got a, a valid um, replacement of, of and renewables are great, but as I say, there's also the downside of reliability and being able to deal with that. So I, you know, I, as I say, I, I do not sit here being any great, having any great foresight as, as to where this goes other than being nervous that, you know, we are heading down a path of uncertainty because um, we don't have, we're not, we don't have the answer on a lot of these things. And as I say, part of my interest in, in which I've developed through my association with Warren and Queens Road is, is the is the value and of the of the uranium nuclear industry and to me this is this is, you know you look at some of the France and some of the places where where it's where these where the economies in are, are built on nuclear and I think one of the problems we have politically is the fact that we've had a closed book on this, and I think it has to be you know, reopened to say, what are the alternatives so we can put some certainty into where we're going rather than trying to have wishful thinking that, that all these other things will magically come into place, which, as we sit here today, they're not. Okay, so Australia's known uranium resources are the world's largest, almost one third of world total, but most of them aren't in production and aren't going to be for a while. So it's a long-term investment, a bit like plant-based meat. But but interestingly, you know, um, you go to China and um, UK, there are big investments being made in this, and more so than Australia. The U.S. 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 has I forget what the number is, but something like ten or fifteen percent, twenty percent of the U.S. power comes from nuclear, the nuclear plants. But um, the real question is if we if we shut down the coal industries, um, all fossil fuel and things like that, what's the backup plan yeah. when when the renewable plan? And it's been this obsession with. How do we get renewables to replace fossil fuel? And, you know, you could say, okay, well, if everything else was in place and the cost to 
do the transmission and all that. They say nuclear is too expensive, but the, the, the replacement cost of to go to the transmission cost, not, you know, then all these things added up. Renewables are not cheap. And, uh, but I, you know, Warren and, and those people that know feel that uranium as an investment has, that these, that nuclear will emerge, will become a factor. And uranium, you say, what, what, what's an investment prospect? Uranium investment will become more valuable as time goes along. We 100% agree. And our chat with John Borshoff really highlighted the importance of uranium as part of the global push towards decarbonisation. Now, before we move on to hear more of Jack's top business tips and insights, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So recently we, we saw in the AFR you had really great business insights and I'm just going to quickly summarise them, which a lot you've kind of reiterated today with us. Firstly is make sure you stay in business and survive the downturns and that's really poignant, I guess, with, you know, everything that's looming with recession, that a lot of talk in that. Yeah. You have to take risk. If you do not take risk, then... Uh, why are you in business? You, why are you in business? But uh, you will not do anything of any significance unless you take some risk. Otherwise, you know, you become a commodity. Nobody will pay. So you have to take risk on whatever that business is that you're going to back. But you don't take crazy risk. Calculated risk. Yeah. Calculated risk. That's a good word. We're very yeah. well said. Another one was, you know, remember that life and business, they go up and down in cycles. Everything that goes up you know, eventually comes down, like you said, with the domino share price, right? Well, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't, it's, hopefully it's not, a, it's not quite as simple as that. There are, there, are, there are adjustments along the way. What you really want is, yes, things will go up, they'll go down, but you want a, a business that has long-term prospects of, of continuing to go up on a long-term basis. Yeah, on a graph, if you picture yes. that. This is a great kind of question for how we're feeling about the market today is we've obviously had you know multiple bear market rallies with the COVID kind of years just dissipating. QE is pretty much at an end now. It's a very different economy and world stage for investment markets since the last two, three years. So how are you feeling about the markets at the moment? Well, you know, like you, I, uh, you listen to, listen to the analysts who, you know, and, you know, the world is coming to an end and, you know, they get nervous because the interest rates are going to go from 2% to 5%. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I come from a school in which at one stage we paid 20, in the mid-20s for interest. 
And to me, 10, when I got started, was a reasonable number. So I say this is a bit of a nonsense that uh, that the interest rates factor. Fine, we've got an inflation problem. The interest rates are being used as a, as a mechanism to try and reduce inflation. That'll take place. But, you know, I come from a, a school of the cups half full rather than, rather than half empty. And I... Uh, I do not think that beyond the adjustment that takes place in trying to bring inflation back, that this is a long-term plan. And I've been in business for 50 years, and one of the benefits of that is, as you've just said, there are cycles. And um, this, to me, is just an adjustment. There are little bumps in the road. And the key thing is don't put yourself into a position where you're extended beyond, uh, you know, the wor- what's the worst-case scenario when you're, when, you're, when you're reinvesting your money? What's the worst-case scenario that can happen? And, uh, yes, you know, there, there will be an adjustment into, into the market. There have, you know, the, the whole tech thing of companies selling at 10 times Crazy sales and things yeah. like this, you know, yes, there will be, a, there'll be, there'll be corrections in that because things just get out of line. But so don't get yourself into, in, into a position whereby if things do get worse, that you're in a you're position where, where you're exposed and vulnerable. You're right. The worst thing you can do is be forced to sell when you don't need to. And we see that. And as a, you know, I mean, this whole crypto stuff that's going on, you know, I mean, you know, some people will go to jail because they have, they've done crazy stuff. Yeah. And I think you got to try and avoid some of these things that, you know, get rich quick sort of philosophies and take a longer term vision that if you do the right thing, you invest your money responsibly, um, that in the long run, you know, things will work out. Yeah, and uh, but don't put yourself into the zone where if the worst case happens, you do get taken out of the game. That's not what you want. Now, with that, could you share with us some of your latest investments you've added to your portfolio and why? I ha- I have an interesting situation in, in which my son Michael, he has um, uh, he he came from he's an he's a chemical engineer. He worked for uh, UBS. Uh, I became a partner in North Cape, which is a kind of investment firm here. And about three years ago, he kind of took, we, we, we set up a thing in which he has a, uh, a, an investment fund. You could almost call it a family office in which he runs the outside investments, which are outside the mainstream business of things that we're doing. And and my role is we look at my role is to how can we how can we buy a company rather rather than necessarily share. So he has this portfolio, which he runs and manages and charges us a fee for doing. But he's independent again. He does his own thing, and as long as he does well, you know, dad doesn't try and interfere with with, with what the choice are. So I, I I'm no longer kind of speculating on buying and selling um, on a daily on a regular basis equities you know, such as you people deal with on a on a basis. But he does, and uh, I'm putting that into kind of as I say we're we're. We're major shareholders in that, and that that's different than kind of 
the 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 being a, a portfolio manager that that, that you know in, in in case of mine I'm sure they're the big investment funds that's probably not a great you know as I say we got fifty million dollars in that that's outside that's outside what he he manages the, he has forty two stocks that he owns the fund owns he and I debate that. Uh, I think it should be 10 rather rather than 42 because I say, how do you really understand what's going on with 42 stocks? You know, so then take meaningful positions and a kind of a family office. And his answer to that is, you know, diversification is, is not a bad thing, probably true. But my rebuttal to that is, when you're dealing with uh, with outside people's money, you get the phone call that says, we want to sell, we want to redeem our shares. So you have to have some degree of liquidity that you can create. But in a family uh, situation, that call is not going to come place. We don't have to. You know, these have are liquidity the, moments. Yeah, we don't have those liquid. So you can take more risk and less diversification by taking stronger positions in, in uh, individual Positions Sounds like that than, debate is still ongoing. Yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. And so far he's winning. I haven't had much so far success. He's winning. So far he's he's winning. And but it's you know he runs that. That's that's it. that's his that's his business. We continue we continue to look at businesses. You know where where we can play. You know from my point of view, we have four businesses in the U.S. Um, you say what what have we done recently? Um, we've got a business in the U.S., which is in, uh, you know, again, un- we've got two restaurant businesses in Canada, uh, one uh, uh, a business in Kansas, which is in the transportation business. It's called RCX. Uh, freight train goes 100 miles in a day, and we have 1,000 vans, which t- bring people back. takes the engineer back to where he lives and gets the new crew out there. And so, so he's still in the delivery business, essentially. Yeah, no, it's crew hauling. Is what RCX is, is. That's that's what it does. And then we have a business. Um, we had a business which is in the scaffolding business in Canada, called Skyway. 150 million in revenue. We bought a business about four or five years ago, uh, in partnership with Blackstone, <clears throat> in in the U.S. It was um, a little under uh, 400 million in revenue, uh, under 500 million in revenue. Uh, oil price went up, and so the revenue went from 500 million to a billion in like a couple of years. And you can imagine what what that does to try and you know, keep on top of that. Oil price fell, uh, revenue went down to 650 million. Um, it's back now as things have recovered. Like this year, it'll do 750 million. Uh, we bought out Blackstone shares in that, and um, that's based in Houston. And uh, so that that's probably been the most recent sort of thing. Again, private private um, business uh, that fits the whole the model. control sort of aspects. Well, the time, the t- you know, this business, it's in scaffolding, painting, fireproofing, all things like that for big industrial. Largely the oil, the, the, that Houston oil coast, you know, the LNG plants being built, doing, you know, and so that has been, that, that we've, we've, been, we've been active in that, and as I say, but the interesting thing 
is in dealing with a business like that is uh, the the fluctuations, you know, of, of um, based on things like prices. like commodity prices and well, we won't do this. Um, we won't do this renovation or, 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 or upgrade until the oil price increases, and then all of a sudden it does, and then you're short on people, and so that has been that that's been a challenge. That that we're gonna, how do you continue to keep on top of that? Yeah, and then obviously with the war in Ukraine dragging out, that's another external catalyst that you know you can't really plan for in any business. So they're the additions that you've recently done in the the um, private space and the business space. Without giving away all your secrets, are there any kind of um, businesses that you've been looking at? Do you have like a bit of a, a hit list, a watch list that you're looking at thinking, I'm interested there? Well, I, I said earlier, one of the things that you, the, you know, kind of the first <clears throat> criteria, yeah, and we, we, you know, we, are, we continue to look at things uh, every week um, as, as, as people come in if they know you're a potential investor. But what what can we buy that fits into what we're already doing? And as I say, we got into the into the into the meat uh, processing, making hamburger patties, which is an export business. But we also make hamburger patties for Hungry Jacks, and you know, chicken products for Hungry Jacks. So that 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 sort of investment fits. Now we have one really important question. What words of wisdom would you share with someone looking to start their own business? I, I think you, you have to be, you know, one, you have to have your antenna out for, uh, look for a business where people can create a value-added situation that doesn't exist today, that somebody else isn't already doing. So, what, and that could be, that's a broad sort of statement. But how do you, how do you look for something where people will spend their money on the product that you're trying to put forward. So what I'm endeavoring to say is there are lots of ideas out there. Uh, nine out of ten don't work. So you've got to be very selective and not taking, the, taking a shot at something just because you're keen to try and get out. I hate my job. I want to get into something. And then I think the the key thing, the key thing, if I had one one principle that, that, that I get across is make sure that you test things because you know what we think may be a great idea, you'll find out that you're wrong. Test, 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 test. Put it into a position where people will part with their money to buy this product rather than just kind of going down the path of. Um, this I'm, I'm doing this to try and get some independence, get out on my own. So test things to make before you kind of blow your brains out by by taking too much risk. Yeah, and make sure that 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 there's a path, and then do it moderately moderately well rather than force feeding something you know, beyond the level that you're comfort with. And maybe thirdly. Um, Make sure you understand the basics of, of what you're doing, because I think people get into things they don't really fully understand where the pitfalls are. So understand that, and then you know, as they say, progress. But overlaying all that, you know, don't be nervous about you know having a go. You know, uh, and and um, you know, I, I I guess I I encourage people to you know if they if they've got the desire to do something have the courage to step over the line and do it. 
um, but tread carefully because, you know, um, as I say, you, we said earlier, the challenge is to survive and make this business prosper, and that takes time. And, um, you know, and if it doesn't work, have the courage to say, okay, I'm going to kill this because I was wrong. So it's a, there's no one formula that says this is going to work or isn't going to work. And as I say, the key word is testing things before you shoot yourself, you know, because um, uh, that will that will lead to a lot of uh, a lot of answers. You know, you're going back to the dominoes thing, you know. Um, there was a there was a lot of trial and error and things like that and in those early stages. You know, if we would have been half smart, we would have quit. You know, but uh, you know, you know well that kind of the, the the tough times of toughing it out and eventually getting it right takes perseverance, resilience to to get there. And if you if you if you you know if you think you're right, then then you got to have that resilience to hang in. If you think you're wrong, you got to have the courage to cut it and say, "I made an error." Give it a go. Have the courage to be able to, you know. And for a lot of people, it's, that's a, you know, a lot. A lot of people kind of. That's the hottest part. Yeah, they're comfortable. They're in a job. They don't like it, but you got school fees, you got uh, mortgage, all those things. So you kind of persevere, and then you get too old, and you say, "I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to. I can't. I don't want to take this risk. I don't want to give up what I've already got." So. Well, you're clearly a risk taker that it's paid off and you've done very well over the years. Yeah, funny, I, I don't look on myself as a risk, risk taker. You don't you think you're no, risk No, as, as I say, you know, the biggest risk probably was when the biggest risk were the people, the 30 people that lent me that the money you. that backed me. They were the risk takers. <laughs> I, I, made, I made a calculated risk that I knew. As I say, just we're probably nearing the end. I came to Sydney. I went the first Sunday here. I went to a Chinese restaurant in Mossman and stood in line with fifty other people with a number waiting for the food to be ready. So you did not have to be Albert Einstein to say, "Here's an opportunity an if you can here. produce food faster with a decent quality." And so I, 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 that, I had that fundamental. That wasn't a risk when I came. I, I, I had a pretty good idea that this is going to work. So I wasn't a risk. People that lent me the money, they were probably bigger risk takers. I know I. you said you don't think you're creative, but it does take a lot of personal insight, curiosity, and creativity to stand in a line and, as you were doing, assessing the bottlenecks and going. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there assessing. I was hungry. That's, <laughs> <what>. <laughs> That's why I was there. But I mean, as I say, I said, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. Is that uh, where Hungry Jacks came exactly, from? I don't yeah. know. There you go. All those years ago. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for inviting us into your office and chatting okay. about the investments uh, that you've done to date. We have one final question that we love to ask all of our uh, special guests. Tea, tequila or coffee? What's your preference? What do I consume the most of? Coffee. Yeah, uh, coffee. And so Hungry Jack spent $20 million just putting barista coffee into, in, into the business. And, and so we're hoping that, that we, we didn't have a real breakfast business. So we're hoping with barista coffee, which people have in the morning, that that will, that will increase the number of people who go to Hungry Jack's in the morning to buy coffee. So I've taken a, a, a new interest in coffee. I don't drink tea. Tequila occasionally, yeah. if the occasion presents itself. But coffee would be the... the, the and I've just got to ask you, you know, it's, it's, it's like asking who's your favorite child. Do you consume more pizza or burgers, would you say? 
Probably burgers yeah. because you know um, it's your first porn. Yeah, yeah, that you know that that kind of that that was that was kind of our entree, and I'm still active on a day to day business. Uh, the Domino's business is run by Don May and the executive team there. Still a director, still have a have a say in that, and still I still I still eat. I'm a I'm a consumer of. You still get uh, the deliveries. Of, uh, get deliveries, absolutely. Does the delivery driver know who you are when you open no, the door? No, <laughs> no, no. But I often I often ask them where they're from and you know what what their story is because that that's of interest as well. So. And it's great that you're still consuming the product that yeah. you're you're continually testing and doing market research. But so. you have to. I mean, again, that that's part of you know how do you understand the business? How do you understand the business how do you really understand what's going on and and how do you be competitive you know because you got other people that are kind of big companies who want to take the business away from you so you got to you got to keep the antenna up trying to understand where things are and that's a wrap we really hope you liked this exclusive two-part episode and our conversation with jack cowan if you'd like to find out more about how you can apply some of jack's personal business lessons and investment principles to your own portfolio or perhaps your own startup adventure we'd love to hear from you so do that by reaching out to us on email which is cft group at shore and partners that's plural with an s.com.au Again, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shore and Partners, and obviously Jack is a very successful businessman, please remember that today's episode does not constitute as personal, financial, or business advice. As always, go out and seek your own professional advice before you make your decisions. And make sure you follow us on at Talk Money to Me podcast on Instagram for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll be back next week. Until next next time. Let's go grab a Whopper, Felicity and Hungry Jacks. Sounds good. See you then. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.